You're listening to the Our Eerie Podcast with Devonna Paisley, Marty Wachuku, and Lydia Laith. We're here to highlight community voices and bring new perspectives to the table. We are unpacking Eerie's and America's baggage. We're speaking truth to power. Take a seat. Yeah, it looks great. Yes. Oh, thank you. Okay. Yeah. So the other day, like, there's like huge dark spots on like the top. Yeah. Shout out to Izzy Lath. Uh, totally helped me fix it. We like went like legit like strand by strand, and we redid my hair. So that was really nice. Oh, gotta love sisters. Gotta love sisters. I know. She's not always the best. Sometimes, girl. A bit of a mess. <laughs> listen i understand she's awesome so that was really nice (laughs) we're all oldest sisters right i'm the oldest yeah i'm the oldest oldest. me too (gasps) what does that mean first i don't know but it means something that means something that means hashtag firstborn energy yes (laughs) firstborn energy I like it. Oh, that's so interesting. Oh, okay. We could say, psychoanalyze that sometime. Yeah, we're going to um, have to. That's why. Okay, okay, okay. So we we talked about starting our intros this season with a little bit more intentionality to inclusivity, accessibility. So I want to just start us off by having us go around, introduce ourselves, describe ourselves and maybe our setting to the extent that we want to. Um, so my name is Lydia Lath. You're listening to Our Eerie. And uh, my pronouns are she, her. I am sitting with freshly dyed blonde hair, uh, thanks to my sister. And I'm in a striped blue and teal sweater with some gray. And I have a beautiful blue tapestry, hashtag tapestry style, hashtag pink Himalayan salt lamp, hashtag air. Yes. Uh, And I am full of bubbly energy. And that's me. Awesome. You go ahead, Devana. I'm so happy that you have bubbly energy because I need that right now because I was I'm slowly getting to the point where I'm getting tired. So it helps when somebody else is energized because then it energizes me. Um, my name is Devana Paisley. I am a black woman. Oh, yeah, I, <laughs> I have black <laughs> I have Black Lives Matter earrings, wooden ones right now on, and I'm wearing a green shirt. And in the background, I have some things on my wall. You know, it's just a plethora of different like paintings and all kinds of cool stuff. Um, And I have a plant on the side of me as well. Love plants. And um, oh, my pronouns are she, her. Working through some things, though, because I'm not sure if I want to use those anymore. But yeah, you know, that's a personal thing, right? It's it's just my own life. Right. So I'm working through that. What does that look like? What you know? So, uh, you know, I'm always ever, ever evolving. Marty. Your turn. I'm Marty Wachuku. I am a black woman. Um, I am currently wearing a burgundy beanie and my braids and ponytails. There's a stripe of red to the right ponytail. Um, In my background, I'm also rocking a tapestry. It's blue and yellow with the sun in the background. Um, And I use she, her pronouns. Yes. Nice. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Me We've too. talked about making it more accessible. So shout yes. out to all our um, listeners that yes. feel more included because we've described what we look like in our backgrounds and all that good stuff. And okay, privilege check on me for not saying white woman because like what a perfect example <laughs> of 
people just being like, well, I'm just the norm, so I'm not going to sit. Like, <laughs> God dang. Like, I'm really absorbed, like, drinking the Kool-Aid all the time. Isn't that so crazy? You know, we all have it in different ways. Yeah. But yeah. the, like, ah, oh, man. Anyway. Isn't it wild? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you even sat there, though, and acknowledged that, that's a really deep thing, too. Like, I, you know, some people just keep going on, but you're like, oh, wait, let me, I recognize this and I want to change this. I want to fix this. That's just you, though. That's just you. It's a beautiful thing. Um, yeah. So, well, I guess that segues into what we want to talk about. <laughs> now, we have lots of things that we want to bring to y'all. Like, we just had our very first premiere, which is, I don't know if anybody's heard that yet, but check it out. It's, um, you know, we debriefed our the election results, and now we're back. Um, and I was thinking about, like, I wanted to share kind of what I felt after that, like, conversation with everybody. Yeah. I felt... Although it was like at the end, I was a little sad because, you know, we had Tyler on, Dr. Tyler at the last, you know, it was, and we were able to share kind of our, you know, feelings around that, that being a very important, um, um, all of them are important, but that one was very important. And I really felt energized after that, though. I felt like very, like, grateful to know one, sit down and have a conversation with the people that were on with us. But then I also felt grateful, like, I'm like, okay, Erie is in a move where we're, we're shifting and we're growing and it's slow progress um but it, it feels good like it feels good to know that these people are are some brains that are like wanting to bring some positivity to our city so i really more to our city so i really was like excited about that what were y'all's thoughts after that for the school board section like i knew that it was a strong grace there were really impressive people running this cycle but talking to the few people that we had on and then a few of them actually being elected. I feel like we are so lucky as a community that we're going to have that kind of brain energy focused on education mm -hmm. and our shared futures. Even if you don't have kids in the school yes. district, that affects, that's our future. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't feel like um, I felt that way about any other body locally for a while so i'm just really oh. excited and happy that we have some some body a group body mm -hmm. like that here in erie mm -hmm. so that was one of my first major feelings yes yeah i'm having some like serious school board jealousy <laughs> like uh that's a powerhouse being someone that doesn't live in the city of erie and living out in the county and seeing such a stark difference um, not only between the city and the county, but also Erie County. And like, I'm right on the border of Crawford County and Crawford County yeah. is consistently a hot mess with some things that are going on. Although like they did get some like progressive folks, but like, um, like it's just, it's scary stuff. It's scary stuff that's going on across our country right now, mm -hmm. as far as like discussions around mask mandates and CRT and all this other, like these boogeymen that have been invented or taken out of context or whatever we want to like just totally made up really like their mm -hmm. their concept of what these things are is just total nonsense but um it's just really scary to see that sort of mentality like fanned and and given seats at the table like almost unilaterally in some of these like I have a friend that sits on Pencrest school board and like almost every seat on that school board right now is like a anti-CRT like ultra conservative far right like just really like ignorant people <laughs> and mm -hmm. 
and not all of them, but like a, a vast majority. And so that's just really scary to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we see that a lot more in the county than some folks see it in the city or even like I have friends like that live out in Seattle and Portland and like really progressive places. I feel like they have no concept for what it's like to live out here. Like they have no idea, you know, they're debating the minutia of like really progressive ideals and like we're still stuck on like racism is an issue. (laughs) So fundamental. So I just, I, it was energizing to talk to those people, but I, I do still like feel really scared uh, about Uh where like, our county and our communities are heading for sure. If I'm being honest. I I love the honesty. Yeah. Yeah. Last, I'm not sitting in in it as much as last week, but I was holding a lot of fear towards, I'm personally, I'm, I'm struggling with like understanding. And I've talked about this before, understanding the importance of electoral politics and election cycles, but also feeling tired of having to always fight for every single race and election cycle and putting your all on it and sometimes not seeing it come back um and wanting to focus on like the policies and how it actually impacts people's lives but we don't win these races we can't have those conversations and when we lose these races and someone gets to sit in office for two to four years to six years Mm -hmm. we they start to do work to undo the protections we have in the systems or the little things we can do to win. So it makes me worried every time we lose that it's only going to get harder to win. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that was one of my reactions the day after the election. Yeah. I also feel like if I'm being 100% radically honest with you guys, like, I feel like I lost part of myself in the campaign. Like I have talked a lot about people being authentic and true and honest especially like people running for office and i definitely like muted parts of myself Mm. in order to be more palatable to a broader audience and i think that that's really frustrating to reflect on and be like you know what and i still fucking lost yeah like i i was not and not that i like lied about anything or not that i like was like saying one thing and thought another but like that i held back things or i tried to like I had people ask me, what's your stance on CRT? And rather than saying like, fuck, yeah, we need to have more CRT applied to these systems. It's not being taught in f- fourth grade history class mm-hmm. because like that's a high level you know, concept. But like we need to apply these to all of our systems rather than saying that like I like. I don't know. And I mean, I, I can say that I like tried to find common ground with people and that maybe is like a noble effort. But like at the end of the day, I was like avoiding conflict because I was trying to get elected and I really don't like that um and so I think that's another piece of like not liking the electoral work and just wanting to do the work itself like I love my day job I love all the things that we participate like participatory defense or you know the podcast or like other things that we do that feel like tangible good that we're producing and giving to the community um and yeah I just walked away feeling like not that it was a waste but it's just it's also theoretical and it's also like I don't know. There's a lot of, I don't know. I walked away feeling a little less authentic than I mm. would have wanted to be. Mm. I, I feel that like I, one, I thank you for sharing, you know, because I too can relate to looking back after running a campaign and wondering, was I, you know, authentic in this area or what could I have said to that person who asked me about, 
I don't know. Like I, I just because nothing's really fresh in my head because it's been a while. Um, but I feel that same sentiment in a different way, though, as a black woman who ran for city council and knowing that <laughs> I had a lot that was up against me. You know, people didn't know who I was. They were like, well, dang, where is she from? Is she from Erie? Where did she go to school? Really being like looked at and dissected in a way of like, what makes me called to be on, you know, city council. And I really can relate to that feeling like, okay, was, did I, did I, did I fully show my authentic self as what I would do now? Like before, I, when I ran, I wasn't wearing my head wrap. I wasn't wearing, I don't remember wearing big earrings. Like there were certain things that I like really did not do because I'm like, I want to be able to be, and, and to be transparent, I want to, obviously I want to get, I want somebody, I want them to vote for me. I want to be on the seat, but I feel that, like, I feel what you're saying because, but that's what I hate. Uh, and I didn't finish my sentence. I feel what you're saying, but it's also what I hate about politics. Cause I feel like a lot of people have to assimilate in order to, mm-hmm. and, and not, you know, and not in a net, not always negatively, but they have to assimilate in order to even get the past to the point of being like, palatable to be voted for. And that's what I hated about like the Biden and the, and the Kamala Harris, all that. I'm like, wait, there is really good candidates who are running that were Democrat, that were not the norm and they didn't even get a chance to get passed. Mm -hmm. So I don't know those, all these things, like I, it's just a lot. It's a bunch of bullshit. Well, call out what you're, what you're, you both felt pressure to assimilate to. What is it that you felt? Personally, I did. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I did. But what is it that you felt you had to assimilate to? Can you call what that is out? Because I think that's part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Not that you that you are the problem, but like the fact that you have to assimilate to this certain standard. What is that standard? Like it's the status quo. It's the it's the and, and honestly, even for myself, oh my god, this is like makes me almost want to cry. It's just I think for me personally, I'm going through like this whole transition of unlearning and 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 really decolonizing my mind. And that is very difficult when you're in a society that continues to pressure you to fit in, right? And continues to pressure you to, you know, hide parts of yourself. It really aggravates me um, that we can't, that I know I can do that, right? I'm in a place where I I feel nowadays, you know, where people that I work for, I'm able to be my authentic self. I'm able to show up to my job and wear my head wrap. I'm able to, you know, to say, girl, that's lit. I'm able to, you know, and it's really small things, but I'm able to just be Devana, right? But when I worked for companies and when I worked for other organizations that I, I felt like I had to fit in in a way where I didn't want to put too much on myself. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be too aggressive because then I'd be looked at as the angry black woman. Like, and I know I you say, I've said that many times, but that's what I've gotten from a lot of people knowing that you don't know my soul. I'm very, very kind, but don't fuck with me. But yeah, I'm very kind. But like, you know, and even that, like people think, oh, well, I'll see. Now she said, don't fuck with me. Yeah, she's an aggressive woman. It's like, no, just don't fuck with me. Like you shouldn't be fucking with nobody, right? But I don't know. And, and like you said, Marty, it's just, it really is having to unlearn shit that I was taught, you know, even from my family, even from my parents, even from, you know, the my lineage of people. It's like, no, like, no, I'm not going to make myself more palatable for anybody else. Like, but so that, and, and I will say it's decolonizing and, and it's, it's colonization. That's what's fucked us up. 
It really has, especially our, my people, our people, um, Black people, Indigenous people. Colonization has really fucked us up. And look where we're at now. Fighting against the CRT. People, like, it's stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not stupid because CRT is actually very, we need to be implementing this within mm-hmm. the systems, within education. It shouldn't be at to the, you get to college to, to learn about this. I should have learned about this in grade school, middle school, right? Because um, well, it's affecting you in grade school and middle school. Absolutely. Like, like I went through things in middle school that were racist, mm-hmm. that were misogynistic, right? That were all the isms. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Can we talk a little bit about critical race theory? And yes, before that, I wanted to actually say, Lydia, even though you you felt like you were holding bit back parts of yourself, I personally felt like when I saw you um, on a public forum or talking online, I still got that you were a very special and unique candidate. Mm-hmm. Like you still came through. Yes. Mm. So I just I just wanted to tell yes. you that. You, and I think that made you stand. This stands out to me when people can speak not in jargon, not feel like you just said a whole bunch of words and I have no idea what you just said. I never got yes. that from you. Yes. So thank you. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it's tough. It's just, it's tough. And I, I mean, yeah, who knows? It's really strange to Mm -hmm. put yourself in the public eye and, and require that you be approved by people. Yeah. Like, it's not like just being your authentic, like, if you are your authentic self and people don't like it, then you don't get that. Like, there's very real world consequences. I think that too, like, your point of on about like assimilating and, and like the consequences at an employer, you know, or like at a job or in politics or in life or when, with our families, even like if you don't assimilate to certain expectations, like the consequences can be very real, whether that's losing connection with with people you care about or losing a job or losing money or losing an opportunity. Like the consequences are so real. And I think that that's what people miss a lot of the time is like this is bigger than just changing an aesthetic or being like somehow like abstractly morally yes. like in like in conflict but like this is like very real consequences to it so it's like it's super complicated it's um but but yeah anyway thank you you know it was tough i had like someone give someone said to one of my volunteers that you know oh this girl just looks like she's this white girl taking tours of the county and doesn't care about uh, I don't know. It was something about like saying I don't care about racial issues, and that was like a re- like that hit me really hard, and I knew it like struck a nerve with me because I was like, mm, the fuck, <laughs> like this is like something that I like yeah. really care about, and so the fact that that wasn't coming through, I think, really hurt my heart. That like someone saw me or someone saw something that I was sharing and didn't. But it's hard because how can everyone know everything about? Well, anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. But <laughs> no, I get it. It's I tough, get it. Right? Like you want to convey all the complexities of who you are and then people make a snap judgment on you and sometimes they're going to judge something uh that is like very personal and like something closely tied to who you are or your identity and when it's misrepresented or misunderstood it can feel even more hurtful because it's something that you hold really close to your heart and so that that was difficult for me Mm. well i Uh, appreciate both of you because you have put yourself out there in a way that many people you know never do yes thank you i appreciate you Mm, yeah because behind the scenes 
you're putting yourself out there and you're okay. also going and knocking doors and talking to people, which can be sometimes just as scary. Absolutely. And when they shut the door in your face and they're like, I actually prefer um, door knocking to can't phone banking. Oh, me too. I prefer oh, really? to see someone's face and talk to, even if you slam the door in my face, at least I got to see your face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, for sure. People are way nicer at the doors on the phones. Yeah. People will be so rude. Yeah, 100%. Or if they answer at all. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. So getting back to critical race theory. Um, it was a huge motivator, this election cycle for people. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. On the wrong side, though, right? I mean, like, as far as I've seen, like, people on the conservative side, we're talking about critical race theory and we did not see people on the progressive side engaging with it and saying like, we need to come out in support of these conversations or in support of this dialogue. So do we want to quickly define critical yeah. race theory for people? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was thinking I was going to pull it. I'll just pull up the actual like definition that way we can have, you know, the, the perfect, cause I don't want to, mm -hmm. Yeah, I have it right here. I, you got uh, it? Okay, general. Um, so critical race theory is a framework um, of analysis and an academic movement of civil rights scholars and activists who seek to examine the intersection of race and law in the United States to challenge mainstream American liberal approaches to racial justice. CRT examines social, cultural, and legal issues primarily as they relate to race and racism in the United States. So the idea... Oh, sorry. No, go no, ahead. No, go. You go ahead. I was just going to say that the idea is that critical race theory is like a lens through which to look at systems and say, okay, these systems say that they are not biased or these systems say they're not racist. Like, let's check. Like, let's assess. And it's just it, like, as with so many issues, whether we're talking about freaking Liz Allen on city, you know, council mm -hmm. or CRT, like, it's just people asking questions and saying, okay, this is what you say. Like, let's, let's ask, let's, let's dig deeper. And people are enraged by it. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to have a conversation or like have someone on down the road where we can really break down, you know, conservatism versus liberalism and what all that means. But mm -hmm. critical race, the um, critical race theory was a reaction to like liberal thought on racism, which, as I understood stood from my reading, was um, the idea that, you know, racism is like a mental or psychological problem like you just don't understand how that other people work differently and if you were exposed to people different from yourself um you wouldn't be as racist anymore so what we need to do to, to change people's minds is to expose them to more diversity and to have these conversations with about race and by doing that work we're going to get closer and closer to a world where there's equality and there's less prejudice mm -hmm. where critical race theory says Yes, there's always going to be personal prejudice, but that's not what sustains racism in this country. It's a systemic problem. It goes all the way back to our founding. And because of the way that racism has been used as a tool, it's a tool, mm -hmm. understand that it's a tool, it's not a personal feeling mm -hmm. that is literally embedded in every structure mm -hmm. in our system. Mm -hmm. The law, education, our healthcare system, the way we treat the environment, mm -hmm. all of it. Mm -hmm. So when people say to, and critical racism, critical race theory originated from the legal field, just like when mm -hmm. we talk about intersectionality. I didn't know that until I started looking this up. That also came from the legal field. Um, I lost my thought. 
it came from a place of I lost my thought. Other like prominent scholars, like, you know, I, mm-hmm. I thought of Kimberly Crenshaw, um, mm-hmm. Derek Bell from the 70s and the 80s, who uh, is a lawyer, um, but was, so him, Derek Bell and Kimberly Crenshaw, they were scholars at this point in time. They were in school together. And then that's kind of like in this, during the 70s and the 80s, you know, they started to bring this and develop this and started to kind of grab minds together and created this theory. Um based off of the situations that were happening um, with post-structuralism, right? With um, the Martin Luther King, what happened with Martin Luther King Jr. um, And then just kind of taken from Frederick Douglass and all these other people, uh, all these other scholars who were really already doing that type of work. Um, And so it just made sense. I don't, and I don't know, again, you know, for me, I just don't understand why um, this is being taken out of schools, you know, the whole idea, like the theory is being taken out of schools, like schools are about, I think I read 20 schools right now have bills to ban mm-hmm. critical race theory. 20 schools out of which is bizarre, which is bizarre. but it's not in schools really though. It's no, not. it's not. And not at that level. That's the crazy part too, is that, I mean, first of all, the people that want to ban it can't define it. I mean, look at Pencrest School Board in Crawford County. Like, they have been trying to ban CRT at their their school <laughs> district for months now, and they can't define it. None no. of these ultra-conservative elected officials can define what CRT is in order to to ban it. So if you can't define it, like, then sit down. Um, and... Then on top of that, yeah, like it's not even it's not being taught in our schools. CRT is a 400 level college course that you would take in like law school. This is not something that like we're teaching fourth graders, but we could at like the school board level apply it to how we're implementing curriculum or decisions or or processing certain things or, or making decisions in these systems but like this is so much bigger than like what's happening in like one single classroom and it's so bizarre how it's being weaponized to keep certain people quiet or to to almost like mm-hmm. stall any sort of progress or conversation so again i mean i don't need to i don't mean no. to like belabor the point with Pencrest school board but um they they recently had an English teacher that was asked to go present at a conference because of the work she's done and she's like very well respected she wants to go to this conference and the school board is in uproar because some of the topics of the conference involve race and so they're saying that that this conference every like CRT is secretly embedded in all these conversations and so therefore they're not going to let this woman go to a conference because like they, they think CRT is being like embedded in that. That's what's That's- really upsetting about it. Because remove CRT or critical race as the conversation point, and it's people being upset that people are talking about race. They don't 100%. want us to talk about race anymore. They want us to pretend that it's not an is a non issue. It's right. the same. It's the same crossover with the people who say Black Lives Matter is all lives matter and this and that. It's it. I, Devana, when you were talking about decolonizing yourself and how Mm -hmm. we should all like process decolonization i feel Mm -hmm. like this this apple that is crt is just the colonizers saying we don't want to talk about our history we don't want to talk about what we're doing currently in other parts of the world we don't want to talk about how we are still oppressing people so let's not teach it let's not talk about it there are school districts that are actively removing 
literature from Martin Luther King and other yeah. historical black people. So they're act even if you don't, you don't have to ban CRT. You're not already teaching our full history of Native history and right. black history. And you're actively removing literature and right. work plans from the school district. So what is, what is all this noise? What is all this? You're winning. <laughs> they're right. winning yeah. already. Right. Yeah. Right. It, it upsets me. Yeah. I don't understand why progressives haven't come out in like more support or vocally like saying like this is bullshit because it's total nonsense like they're saying that crt is like anti-race or anti-american or whatever and like no one's clapping back consistently at the same level at the same volume that these like anti-crt people are at and i feel like i'm really frustrated that there's not more like outrage from from the left at least from like in these uh, granted i live in like mm -hmm. areas so maybe it's just like my area but I also feel like, um, forgive my words, but it's what's coming to mind. It's not the priority for most of us. Most of us are not in our everyday saying, mm -hmm. we need to get critical race theory into every classroom. <laughs> yeah. like, when we talk about racism and having conversations about racism, that touches on so many different levels and so many systems. I feel like the far right have taken it and dangled it as something that we're all concerned about and it's our main priority which is not so i don't i think that's part of why there are a lot of people on the left not saying mm -hmm. bomb about it mm -hmm. and then ultimately it's a losing conversation because they're not gonna right. they don't care they don't want care to have an actual conversation about they don't want to talk about race that's why it's a whole problem right no you're right because, listen because then that would blow up their spot and they wouldn't have their seat or wherever they're at. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's mm -hmm. like, like, again, it goes back to the decolonization, right? Like, although there are a lot of people that want to, like, there are a lot of people that I, that, let me get my, let me get my thoughts together. So I want to give a good an example of, of kind of like where I'm at when it comes to my understanding of like, yes, like, so a lot of us believe that there's racism. A lot of us progressives, progressives believe, um, and I don't want to broad, broad, you know, broad paint this, but a lot of us would, I can come from my experience and say, okay, while I have believe that racism is still happening, while I believe that, you know, things have affected people differently, I know my experience in life has not always, it's not been the same experience as another black woman's, right? Like there is some privilege that I've had in my story. And I think that, being able to, though, realize that there is privilege that I've had, I have to understand that, like, that's still, it still affects other people. Like, not being so far removed from the fact that, like, shit affects everybody differently. Racism is affecting people. Um, uh, homophobia is affecting people. Like, although my wife and I are out, we're open, we are okay with who we are, there are other people who are not who are not able to do that. Right. And so there are other people who are not, who don't have that same, you know, who, who aren't able to do that. And so I find privilege in being able to be a person who's able to do that. Right. Um, and I feel like people just get real comfortable in their positions of where they're at and they just don't want to, to rock the boat wherever they're at. And I know, I, I don't know if that's, if that's mm -hmm. what I'm, if that's clear, I just, Mm. It's crazy. It's it's really wild. Like thinking about critical race theory, right? And the idea that it's just we people don't know how to define it, but it, we know that it's it, it's affecting everyday lives. I think about the Crown Act. We just talked about hair, right? As a mm -hmm. as a as a black woman, 
I cannot go in. Well, in certain areas, certain jobs, certain places, there have been black women who have been told they can't come to work with their hair braided. Right. Or they can't come to work with beads in their hair or they can't come to work. They got to take their fro, their fro. They have to maintain their fro. You got to straighten it up. Like people have really been that bold to tell other people what they can do with their hair. Children, I don't know. And children. They send them home. They cut their hair. Right. And so with that, we've had to create, when I say we, not me me personally, but people have created the Crown Act, which is, uh, which is, it was a collaboration with, I believe, Dove um, and a state senator. Uh, I wanted to get the state senator's name. Maybe I can find the state senator, a state senator and Dove and the Crown Coalition. They literally came together to create a law that stated that black women or any black people, that their hair should not be touched. That And so let me get, so I'll give you that exact as I just looked it up. So the Crown Act was created in 2019 by Dove and the Crown Coalition in partnership with the state senator, Holly J. Mitchell of California. And this was to ensure the protection against discrimination based on race-based hairstyles by extending statutory protection to their hair texture, protective styles such as braids, locks, twists, and knots in the workplace and public schools. Why is this even a thing, right? We have to do this, right? To protect us. But, 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 but why are you talking about my hair? Like, I don't understand. But we've had to create stuff like this to protect us because of Black women being 1.5 times more likely to be told to go home because of their hair in the workplace. And Black men who have had locks or Black women who have had locks. Like, we have to create laws to protect us. So, so I kind of wanted to adjust and ask you all a question, one of my prior statements. So when I say critical race theory is not a priority for us, I think like it being like just we calling it that and like it has to come with this whole curriculum that's going to go in schools. I don't know that anyone's doing that. But things like the Crown Act mm-hmm. and things like um, reallocate funds from away from the police and all these other conversations we're having, is that kind of critical race theory but we're just not so are they attacking the education part of it or are they attacking the fact that we're saying in all these other systems let's really look at because i would say that is a prior priority of ours is like attacking these systems and rethinking about how we move in them and how they affect them but i also don't think like it's this big om omnibus omnibus mm-hmm. thing that we're working on so i'm confused on both sides what the issue is. Was this ignited? Or is by even Donald a both Trump? side thing? Maybe right. It's not a both side thing. I mean, I think part of it is it's just made up stuff. I mean, it's just totally fabricated. From what I've heard from people from the conservative side of it, it's all like it's it's their projection of what they think this is. Or um like kids come so like I have a friend on school board that said like they had parents complaining that their kids would come home and say that, uh, you know, they were told that saying the N word was racist or certain things that they were saying or doing were racist or inappropriate. And now their parents are mad that they're being like, quote unquote, brainwashed at school. Which for um, the audience saying the N word is racist. <laughs> like <laughs> no question really, about it. really bizarre. Yeah. Anyway, so like the. I but I think you're you're onto something, Marty, with the point that like CRT is the the boogeyman target, like focal point of 
a very angry group of people, a very angry, very vocal, but definitely not the majority, although they would love to think they are the majority, a very angry, loud group of people that are upset about people talking about race, about people talking about redistribution of wealth or power or or status or changing systems that they have aligned with. And I think this kind of ties back. Sorry, I'll keep it short. Oh, you're but fine. Like, no, no. I think this ties back to that. What I was talking about, about when someone when someone pokes at something that you closely identify with, mm -hmm. um, that it hurts more. But I think that in this context, I think when we critically analyze racial injustices and systemic racial disparities and inequities, we are calling into question people's assumptions about things close to their identity that they have always held true. I got here because I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, not because I had any advantages. Mm. Mm -hmm. Which in a society that favors whiteness and favors masculinity and favors, you know, certain looks or voices or accents, right? Like we know that that's just not true, that like no one truly just like pulls themselves up by their bootstraps. Like there's so many layers to to why people can succeed and why some people can't. Um, and that's not to say that some people don't have to work really hard to get what they get. Um, but I think we it's it's striking a nerve in a lot of people who do not have the social or emotional skills or spaces to process some core beliefs about their identity being like very deeply challenged right now. And so what they're doing is lashing out at the closest thing that they can mm. to mm. CRT. But why don't they respect our identities? Like I respect your identity as what the media portrays as forgotten Amer white America. And like, it's hard in the rural areas. Like I, I yeah. get that. So why can't you understand that the same thing is happening to another group of people who don't look like you? And that when you talk that way, you're attacking their identity as well. So you're putting them in the same position that you feel that you're being put in. Because empathy is a skill that's developed. And when you have a lot of privilege, your empathy doesn't have to be developed as acutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I also think, I mean, to your point about exposure to diversity too, I think that there's something to be said about these people that have lived entire lifetimes without ever encountering people from a background that is not exactly like their own. I've met people like that at Edinburgh. Who yeah. Would say, oh, sure. oh, you're the first black person I've gotten to know. Right. Right. And so like that's, again, not an excuse. And just because they then get exposure to it doesn't mean that they're suddenly not racist and that our systems are, are solved of their race, racist undertones or, you know, underpinnings. But um, as far as like the individuals go, as far as systems go, I feel like there's a, a broader network of people fanning the flames of the CRT issue so that they can infiltrate so many levels of government and and get these people into these positions so they have like fully all conservative boards that and i'm sorry i'm so excited about this conversation i didn't mean to cut you off lydia oh, no that's fine. it no go ahead um <laughs> that and it's not just you know the people who are afraid of losing their stuff and rising up into politics is a racism as a tool so who's the tool meant to benefit the ultra wealthy who you know, control the way our systems work. So they benefit from white people, you know, voting against their own interest and, you know, saying nasty things about people of color and putting in systems that are going to harm people of color. But ultimately, we, 
it's only going to get worse unless we do something about it. The resources going to the top and not benefiting the rest of us. So I feel like the CRT and so many of the other issues that, you know, people grab a hold on and that's all they can think about is not just everyday people. It's literally the powers that be trying to separate us further. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, 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 I hear you on that because as you were talking, I literally thought the word that like came across my head was fear, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think the, even when I think about, you know, all the stuff that with the mask mandate and, the, and COVID and real, really real situations, like there still was fear planted for on both, on all ends, like fear planted into people so that people react, right? Instead of just really being like, okay, wait, let me think about this. Let me use some critical thinking for my own self. And instead of being so quick to react because of what media is telling me or what politicians are telling me or what Donald Trump at the time who was president was telling me or what Biden now is telling me. I think it's for people in power and in these, in these positions in media like to feed on everyday people's fears. Um, and whether that be racism, like racism is still a fear, a fear of somebody, which is really weird. I, racism is a disease and, and a fear of people, I believe. Um, but when I think about what's going on right now, like people are so afraid of just change. People are afraid of being pushed um, to, to think <laughs> outside the box. People are there. And there's a lot of people who are afraid of, of what the future holds, which we don't know the future. We need to stop. We need to live in the present, really, honestly. But I, I think that when I hear when, when we're talking about this, I think of fear. Like, I think also that people are are that people in power are afraid of people knowing the truth, that critical race theory would start to expose the truth, which has already been exposed of what's going on in our society, of these systems that are literally failing everyday people. Uh, I mean, these are just it, people not wanting to know, they don't want us to know the truth. And I think critical race theory, when I listen, when I hear like and read about critical race theory, it's just speaking truth about mm -hmm. how these systems have affected people, how they've affected people of color, how they've affected women, how they've affected uh, workers, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is just, it's, it's just the reality of that people don't want us to know like that, the, that, that the left does, or no, I'm sorry, not the left, the right or the left, whoever doesn't want us to know. And it's kind of shitty. It's kind of shitty. Like, I feel like critical, critical race theory just to me sounds like critical thinking. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, so we're just, we don't want people to critically think. We just want to tell people what to do. Mm -hmm. create workers and create people who are just going to be these like, mm -hmm. you know, robots and not feel and not have feelings and not have empathy for one another and not care for one another. And like you said, Marty, about causing division. That's why I hate the Republican, the Democratic bullshit, because it's still divisive mm -hmm. um, because I still have to feel like I have to pick a side when I'm literally an American. Right. Um, and I'm literally a person. And I feel like it's shitty that I have to even pick one of these sides. Mm -hmm. It it just doesn't add up to me. But both parties came from a place that they were responses to something regarding race. Whether it was I'm anti-slavery 
or whether as I'm pro or anti-segregation, like literally our party system is based on race. And I know personally, I sometimes feel differently. And I may say something different in the next episode, but I think if you really want to understand the class system in America, it's race. You can't separate the two. I know class unites us all. But if you want to understand how class has occurred and functions in this society, it's all in America. Mm-hmm. It is all based on race. America has a caste system and it's based on race. A hundred percent. A hundred. Well, that's, I mean, the concept of blackness and whiteness didn't like exist in conversation mm-hmm. until the United States in like developed chattel slavery. Yeah. It, like for Ooh. the, the like maintenance of, of, uh, an enslaved group of people and a poor working class European group of people that they didn't right. like they the poor European people and the enslaved African people started to work together very briefly in early on early southern mm-hmm. plantations to overthrow the people at the top because they recognize like wait a second mm-hmm. our situations are both shitty and like the only person benefiting from this is the guy at the top like let's flip the script and deal with it and then very quickly, the people at the top in the the wealthy European plantation owners said, no, 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 we're not rich and poor. We're white and black. Start seeing us mm. as white together. You are so much better than those black people. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like from from pr- even pre, you know, I mean, like th- that invention, that insidious, grotesque invention of of race as a concept as a as a divisive tool like you said marty like that is what enabled plantation owners to amass enough wealth to start the american revolution and ultimately create the united states of america so like when we say that the foundations of the united states were built on racism Mm -hmm. like literally the united states would not exist if wealthy european plantation owners had not invented racism in order to keep poor white and black people from uniting and and bucking the system so this isn't like some yeah i mean it's like it's not indoctr these are just facts this is this is how it works this is what happened and until we can start to talk about it we can never deal with it and i'm so like yeah but again i mean like this is such a difficult conversation in this context mm-hmm. in in pennsylvania in rural pennsylvania in in these pockets of our country where you can't even get past like the front door with people you know like i oh. when we would go nor- door knocking people would be like well what's your stance on crt i'd be like okay well help me understand how what's your definition of it and they're like no oh, i don't want to like you just can't even have that first conversation and it's just it's really frustrating and i think that's also what scares me a little bit is that when you can't even have that conversation when you can't sit down and say tell me more let's talk about it like let's figure out what we're actually even talking about when people don't want to have that conversation then there's like there's no reasoning there's no logic there's no rationale there's no empathy like you can't even have a conversation as two human beings it's also uh it's uh it's a uh... so on election day i was out at the polls in the morning and i was there with two other candidate volunteers and a man came up to us all and was asking if any of the school board people supported critical race theory and that he couldn't support it and that all Dems just make things about race. And he was looking, he was talking to the other people, but also looking me directly in the eyes as if to challenge me. 
So what's the word? The word is escaping me. But in that moment, I was like, I'm not going to engage in this. I, what do you want me to say as a person of color to you who's ready to argue because you've already laid it out on the table how you, right. you know, feel? So it's disarming. It's disarming because otherwise, like in this mm. conversation right now, I'm talking about it, right? I'm mm-hmm. challenging myself. I'm backtracking on you're teaching me things. But in that moment, I did not want to have that with him. It was not. I don't know. So I feel like it cuts both ways in that. They don't want to hear it, but also when they came to, he came to me and wanted to challenge me. I was like, I don't want to feel angry and frustrated and fight you this early in the morning on election day, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, think about your internal intuition too. Like that sounds like you just really used your intuition. Like there are going to be some people that you're like, yeah, I'm going to maybe talk to this person. Maybe I feel like this person, even if it felt like it was a challenge, like I feel like you listened to your intuition at that point. That might not have been productive because he was probably clearly, like you said, you felt that he was doing it to be a, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, you know, to to just, you know, just add more fuel to the fire. But like you trusted your you trusted your internal internal intuition, which I think is really powerful because sometimes you just don't need to argue like I'm not arguing with you. If I, if you even had to ask me that. Mm-hmm. This early in the morning. Right. And you're you looking directly at me in the eyes. Like, right. You, mm-hmm. you don't want my answer. You just want to be an asshole. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I mean, that's how I feel. Even if he wasn't trying to be an asshole, I've seen like. No, I have, I have <laughs> so much respect for people that like can have those battles consistently. Because there are some people that like are ready to fight and are re- like ready to have words with people. And I just can't do it. Like. I can't, At least either. not in those con. Like, if I feel like it's no. productive, if I feel like the person still respects me as a human being and is willing to have the conversation, but it feels like so often sometimes it just gets so yeah. disconnected from like we're still two human beings that we should find some common ground. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, I can't. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. That's, I'm not like unless we're sitting on a panel to debate. Mm-hmm. an argument or something that's one thing but I, I will tell you this like you can't in my opinion you know from from my experience you cannot make somebody see Mm-mm. I I out of your lens what you're like you can't like yeah you can give all these examples you can all this and all this and that and I feel like it's a waste of breath in my opinion it's a waste of my time because I could be doing something more productive I could be helping somebody out I don't I don't have that to do when I'm just sitting here arguing and I feel like we're not getting anywhere like, and I feel like even at the end of the argument, you still on your stance, then then you wasted my time. Like, and then you feel terrible. Like, I felt terrible after that one interaction. I was like, if had I gone toe to toe with him, I would have felt worse, you know? No, no, mm-hmm. I don't argue with people, especially, oh, I hate when I see people arguing on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I'm like, why? Like, you're on Facebook, and I get it. I know some people get into their mom. I don't know. Just for me, I don't have that to do. I don't have to. I have so many other things to do. I'm not going to sit on Facebook, argue with nobody when no. I know goddamn well they could give two flying hex like fucks if that if if I'm saying what I'm like, I'm not doing it like I'm now. That stuff drives me nuts. That's something I had to deal with for the campaign was like this one guy that was like a consistent troll on all my posts when I would like and not even related to the county prison system, but he would always bring up the county cost, like the pr- cost recovery program <laughs> on all of my posts. And I'm one of those people that like, I don't ever want to be accused of not responding, but I kept going back and saying like, Hey, here's, here's where I get my information from. 
if you want to talk more like this is a complex conversation like facebook comment section is not really the place to have this conversation <laughs> blah 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 and like he still would never get and like i understand people are on social media and it's a new way to communicate with people and like people communicate but i still think like there's a time and place and some of these conversations like if you're not willing to have it in person or if you're not willing to have it face to face or over the phone or like take the time to talk yeah. to me as a human being especially with like local politics stuff like yeah i get some of these big level people that like aren't even in the same county as us anymore like right right okay but like i'm right here i'm right next door like okay. yeah which is still scary because people feel like they you know they have access to you just because they can Mm -hmm. Um, which is, is also very scary because I don't know, you know, we arguing on Facebook and you know, or you know mm -hmm. where I live, my neighborhood. And then how do I know you're not going to come to my place mm -hmm. and retaliate because of what I said or what you didn't agree with, disagree with, or you agreed with, because people are doing that. Like literally like people have done death threats, not to me, thank God, not yet, but people have had death threat, like mm -hmm. prime example, Yanla Van Zant. I just saw a Yanla. You know who a Yanla Van Sant is? Is she the one who hugs people on TV? <laughs> she's the yeah. She's the lady what? that. <laughs> she's the lady. <laughs> so she is. Um, she's been in the in the game for a long time. She's like a, a TV personality, but that she's a, a therapist. And I believe I don't know if she really like. I don't want to say that, but anyway, yeah, she's she's a therapist and really does. You know, so how has helped many families and really like different people, different celebrities have been on her show. So apparently she stopped her show and decided to cancel after, I believe, nine years of having her show because she was getting death threats and she was getting people like negative. She's like literally the negative comments and the death threats that I was getting from people were crazy. And I just read the article earlier. She was talking about how also um, that. The reason why she wanted to stop the show was because people were literally like calling her personal number and, and just asking her for support. She's like, literally, I have workshops. I have a TV show. I have social media. You can go on all these platforms to learn and to hear me mm -hmm. and, and get some type of like support. And if you did want support, go about it the, the right way, like the way of like communicating with my contacts that like my people. But anyway, people were going to the point where they were doing like personal attacks to her. And so like, that's a lot of like, mm -hmm. it's a lot when you are a person that has like this influence and then you have to like still have some type of boundary. Mm -hmm. Like even if it is local politics and even if you're like, yes, I'm available. It's like, yeah, be careful with that because people... Not everybody has their your best interest at you know at heart, and it, I'm not about to be arguing again. No, I'm not gonna argue with nobody on social media. I'm not gonna do it because I don't know. I don't know. People are wild out here, especially mm -hmm. nowadays. Like, yeah, that's true. I just went on a tangent, but no, just thinking true. about protection at this. No, point. it is. <laughs> you're so right, though, on on all sides, and I think this. I've seen this on the flip side of like really progressive people targeting and being kind of hateful towards more conservative people granted like mm -hmm. there are many conservative viewpoints that like are directly harmful towards people yes um but like at the end of the day we're all still human beings and i don't know there's i go back and forth but and and marty you and i've talked about this before about like calling in versus calling out mm -hmm. but like that it's way more productive to call people into a discussion than to call them out for something. And 
yeah, at the end of the day, someone like a human being is having to read your words. I guess that's like, again, being on the campaign trail and like all the things that people say, hurtful things or just like rude or judgmental. And like when you're just getting barraged by that nonstop, Mm -hmm. like it takes a toll. And there were some days that I was like just so... And it wasn't like horrific, like death threats or anything, but it was just like constant judgment and constant like, like, can't believe she doesn't have someone answering her phones for her. Or like, I can't believe like you didn't respond to my text message when I texted that back. You know, you don't have volunteers trained on how to respond to this question. Like all these things that like constant, constant, constant judgment and like no space for grace. I had this one woman that Mm. replied to a volunteer texter that was like, uh, yeah, like you don't know where Lydia stands on this issue. Like, how would you not? And it was like a specific, like process oriented, like where would you get funding for this specific plan or something? I was like, I, I wouldn't expect a volunteer to know the minutia of like plans or ideas. And like, those are things that like I would want to answer myself. Um, but like the fact that she was super rude to this person who was like a young, like she's, I think she was a high school student that was volunteering and stuff. I mean, just like, give grace for people understand that like everyone has a story and you might not know Mm. what you're going through and it doesn't mean we have to put up with bullshit it doesn't mean that we have to like everyone it doesn't mean that we have to agree with everyone or put like and and allow injustice to occur but it does mean that like when we have a choice when we have an opportunity to just give people grace or be kind or like just be like neutral like truly neutral not judgmentally neutral not like passive aggressively neutral but like just truly neutral that it's okay to just like not always have an answer or not always like be snarky with stuff because that's something I've like seen Mm. I don't know we could just be more human with one another I think yeah yeah sorry now I went on a tangent (laughs) no it's okay (laughs) it's okay I like when you said there's no grace. What would you say? You just said earlier, just said there's no grace in this space. I think you you rhymed. And I was like, <laughs> I'm a poet and I didn't know it. Oh my God. No, I realized like, yeah, you're right. Like grace is like lacking. Like right. even when people make a mistake, like even think about this conversation. I like think about this after, you know, this is just mm-hmm. me. Like after we have, you know, I go, we we're done, you know, recording and I listen back on this. I'm like, oh my God, there's going to be areas where I'm like, oh my God, I could have done a little bit better on that area of knowing more about critical race theory, because it's still a new concept to myself. Um, Even though I'm a sociologist, right? That was my study of society. Critical race theory is a little bit more deeper and and Mm -hmm. takes a little bit more of a deeper um, uh, knowledge and and really like studying, um, which now I'm really like all in with studying this because I was looking at this earlier. And so I really want to get more um, versed in this area. But when I was thinking about just this conversation, I'm like, people are probably gonna be like, oh, no, and who cares if it gives a fuck? But people are gonna be like, see, they need a little more, a little bit more about this. That's fine. I will, I will let you know, I need to learn still, right? Like, I'm okay with that. But people are not gracious. And so like, just be easy on us, y'all. We still learning, okay? And just like you, you still learning too. And we all need to be learning a little bit more. Because at this point, Grace is really like that word is now I'm about to like journal about that because that word is really deep, like having grace um, for not only myself, but for others, even if we make mistakes, um, even if we don't agree, like or disagree or whatever, like just humanity needs to be brought back. Like that's how we learn. That's how we grow. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would like I I know you're seeing that, but it's it's we're fighting some some challenging times right now <laughs> right like some maturity like it takes yeah and humility right like 
it's easy to give grace to other people when we give it to ourselves and when we are humble with ourselves and say like i don't know everything i'm gonna learn and I'll, right. I'll make mistakes and i'll get better right like that's i think that's the whole from my perspective like that's the whole discomfort with white people and talking about race at all is mm -hmm. like they either are upset by it because they don't think it's an issue or they think that people are getting special treatment or something stupid or they're just so afraid of making a mistake they don't want to talk about it because they're like i'm gonna say the wrong thing and then people are gonna cancel quote unquote cancel me or do this yeah. or what like i'll i'll say the wrong thing and i'll get in trouble for it but like <laughs> if we can just have this, the humility and the grace with ourselves right. then we can say like this is an important discussion, a conversation. I'm willing to right. make a mistake because I know how important this is. And we're going to keep having that conversation. And by doing so, by giving that to myself, I can give that back to other people and I can give grace to other people when they say something that maybe doesn't align exactly with what I want or doesn't meet my expectations, right? Like we can give them that space. Yes. And like making mistakes literally helps us grow. But I had to learn that because I'm like, oh my God, I made a mistake. It's going to be the end of the freaking world. And now I'm like, you know what? I done made a mistake. I'll, I'll learn from that. Uh, thank you for telling me, you know, but I, we have to be comfortable as a society to make mistakes or as a, as a person to make a mistake, or if you're in a relationship or a friendship, like that's okay. It's really okay. Um, I think we're all in the process of unlearning that though. We've right. been told for so long that we have to be perfect. You have to follow right. this certain life track. And by this certain age, you have to be here. You can't make this certain mistake. If you make this mistake, you'll never come back. And sometimes systemically, there are people who can't come back from their mistakes. No. I was just going to say, right, as three women and, and two women of color, like, yeah, there are some mistakes that some, like, we would not be forgiven for. And there's some right. mistakes that, like, we're not allowed to make. Right. Um, so yeah, it's me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Have I ever talked to you guys about fragility? Have we had this conversation? Oh my God. Okay. I mean, I've had so, experiences with, with male fragility or white fragility. Male, I mean, I'm just what type. No. <laughs> so, like the, the, the value of fragility and walk with me on huh. this because I huh. had this moment. Oh gosh. Sometime this summer. So during our break, I'm sure I would have talked about it on the podcast if we had been recording over the summer. But I had this moment, I'm trying to remember what had happened. Maybe it was, so I had I had saved these two baby squirrels. Did I tell you guys about yes, that? Yes, yeah, so yeah. I remember those babies, I saw them. So I saved two baby squirrels and all the nat like nature rehabbers had said, put them back outside, hopefully mom will pick them up. Um, and so I put them back outside and it was getting dark and I had like, I had taken them inside and then I put them back outside. I was like really debating what to do. None mm. of the rehab places were like taking them back in, but they like literally would like run up to me and climb up my legs. Like they would not leave me alone if I was outside. So finally I'm sitting outside and, um, or I'm sitting inside and I'm, they were outside. And I was like, you know what? Something feels wrong. I'm going to go out. And one of the squirrels had gotten eaten by a cat or something. Oh so only one of them survived. And so I brought that one inside, but I was like, sob it like harder than I've ever sobbed in my whole entire like sob harder than like when my dad died like I was like oh, sobbing and I was like oh my god this is all my fault like and all I kept saying was like oh my god oh my god oh my god and I'm sobbing and I'm holding this little baby and I'm just like oh my god like life is fragile and blah blah blah, blah whatever but I felt afterwards and there's something else I can't remember but I've kept feeling like oh, Lydia like you're so fragile like things make you cry so easily like your heart breaks so easily for for people, for animals, for injustices, like, and, and you're just so fragile with things. 
and how easy life would be if you were just a little stronger and and people praise strength so much but and i've said this before like i even though it hurts even though i feel like sometimes i'm like oh my god i'm such like a in my house we call it a mushy poop head i'm such a mushy poop head because i cry at everything and i'm like i just feel so fragile sometimes and it doesn't mean that i'm not resilient it doesn't mean that i'm not uh persistent or innate uh able to endure through things um but sometimes i just feel like everything breaks me and i put myself back together like i'm like constantly being broken and rebroken by things Mm. and experiences and and injustices and and people that i work with or Mm. or you know little creatures that i uh get the blessing of of interacting with um and I just, I sat with it one day and I was talking to my friend about it because I was like, I need to process this. And maybe this is something like we can pose to the listeners or to you two right now. Yeah. But like, is there a space in which we can see fragility as equally valid as strength? Like we uphold strength and maybe it's like the the, the patriarchy that says like, because men are strong mm-hmm. and women are fragile and weak, that like strength is something that we should always be aspiring to. But like, is there a space in which we can say like, some people are strong and some people are fragile and it doesn't mean that they're they're weak or lesser or unable or incapable but like that being fragile there's like a beauty in being broken and rebuilding after breaking mm-hmm. and and that uh like when you like paint in the gold or whatever to the broke to fix the broken pieces i don't know what that's called but um like is there something is there value in being a fragile soul mm-hmm. um and is that something that we can lean into i was just thinking about like grace and yeah, I don't know. There's things you were saying that I was like, this reminds me of of that idea that I have been I like mulling over. I hear that. So. I do too. I I mean, see, go ahead, Marty. You want to start? You want to go first? I was gonna say I think so, and I think it's what you're talking about is to be human and to allow ourselves to feel our existence. Mm-hmm. I, that's something I've been grappling with. Is yeah. like we're not here to chug away nine to five mm-hmm. and make money and throw away things and watch TV. Like we're animals too. We're here to exist and yes. notice that we're alive and appreciate all the small little moments. So I think there's space to be fragile. And I think it's called like being connected with your being. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I hear that. It's, uh, I'm always a crier. So I, I, I guess if you want to say that's fragile, um, I don't know. When I hear you say that, I'm like, man, maybe, maybe there needs to be a reframing. Maybe the word fragile does sound a little like fragile. Like, like I feel, you know, and from my own personal experience, I I thought the same thing. I'm like, oh my God, like these parts of me, I'm always crying. Everything is like, everything always makes me just feel, you know, um, deeply. And I, 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 I found that to be a superpower now for myself to be a strength. Um, because I'm able to move through the world using those feelings for things that like can really help or protect me or um, just make me feel seen in my own way. Like, you know, I almost want to cry just thinking about what you just said, because I think the idea of strength needs to be redefined in a way, it's like, what is what is strength? Strength to me means being accountable. It means being transparent. It means being honest with not only myself, but with others. Um, that means like really being, doing things that make me, me feel uncomfortable in a way that, you know, like 
talking about my feelings, right? Because I hate that. Like, I think talking about my feelings is like, I feel fragile because I'm like, I'm weak. Uh, now you know that I am not strong in this area, but I, and I thought those things, but now I'm like, F that. You gonna have to see this, okay? Because <laughs> this is just how I feel, right? So I, I don't know. I think that the word fragile is like, you know, the, I don't know. I don't feel like you're a fragile soul. I feel like you're a filler and you go through this world feeling for people and for it, feeling, um, you know, feeling emotions and feeling, you know, um, like, you know, that's, that's a superpower. It really is. It's like, it's definitely, and so anybody out there that is like more emotional or a filler, or that's a strength. Like in, in my world of right now of spiritual, my world of like spiritual growth and spirituality, I find that to be the shadow side the self that others do that I don't want people to see maybe that is like pe- feeling that I'm more weak or that I'm more fragile. And I find that to be like your shadow self, those parts of yourself that are dark, that are heavy, that you kind of, that we negate, that we just try to like mull over and say, Oh no, we're positive. Like, no, like those parts of yourself that are, that are, that are hard to face are often those type, those things that are help you get through the world. Right. Like, and so I think that that's like reframing that and what that looks like for yourself is very, is a very, is that's the start, uh, you know, but that's a superpower. Like that's a, a strength yeah. and people who, who don't feel like they should just not feel or see or not show those types of things like that to me, it does, that, that's not strength. That's like a lack of being able to be vulnerable. Um, and that's not a problem because that's just through trauma. Like, <laughs> right that's just trauma (laughs) we all have it um some you know have more uh different traumas than others right so but we all have gone through trauma racism that's trauma okay we've gone through uh all kinds of shit right and our we just went through we're going through covid that's traumatic and i don't think why we're not even talking about that being another like mental health issue right so global trauma oh my god right so no but that's a superpower like fuck that yeah, maybe reclaiming fragility or reframing yeah. understanding That's- is it reclaiming or just going back to what it's supposed to be because i honestly think we're not supposed to be hard all the time no we're not or we're tell other people to be hard all the time yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. especially as women like the divine feminists come back like women we're like we are actually we're not supposed to be like these like pristine in a box like never never opened and shit like that fuck that we're wild souls like really like we really are like mm-hmm. you know women those who identify as women whoever like we're wild souls those who identify with the divine feminine don't necessarily have to be identified as women you can be a male and identify more with the feminine like mm-hmm. i i mean there i think that that's coming back we're seeing that like feeling and really getting it tapping into ourselves like those are all like real feminine qualities. Um, not, not, not talking about sex or uh, sex, like male, female, I'm talking about like the quality, like, you know, that we all have, like, I don't know, which a lot of people don't, we can talk about that later, but, um, but yeah, that's coming like that. Yeah. Well, and there's something like, I think it's so interesting as humans, we think we're like the first to invent certain ideas or like experience it, but like fragility is a natural 
experience. Like there are certain yeah. things like birds' eggs that are fragile or right. there's like, or tree limbs can be fragile. Like things can be fragile and natural. Like, and like our body, like there are parts of our bodies that are fragile that also heal. And like our body has the mm -hmm. capacity to heal and grow stronger after breaking. And that like there's, yeah. So I think that, or like I think about like you can break through something and it's fragile, but it's because it's, it's easy to break through and it's easy to get to the core of or like, you know, that like, so yes. there's like there's a purpose, there's a natural occurrence of this that we as humans, I think, put things as like, well, this is always good and this is always bad and this is always this way and like it's one or the other. Um, but that like, I think in a, in a more equitable world, like there's a space for all of it and it's neither good nor bad. Like there's just a, a appropriate space for this and an inappropriate space for this or like a, a time when this is what you need and a time when you need something else. Yes. Uh, you better say it. That's how I feel about my 4C hair. My hair texture, y'all, is the most fragile shit ever. Oh, no. But it's also the strongest. Like, it really is. Like, but it can, if it doesn't get moisturized, my hair, it will break off fast as ever. But my hair is very strong. Like, literally, like, I, people can't see right now. I don't got my thing in, but like, it's this thing called shrinkage. So, with shrinkage, my fro, you'll see my fro one day be real small. And then if the next day, if I like braid my hair out, my fur will be real big. So like, again, though, my hair is very fragile, but it also is very strong. So it that's how I always feel about my hair is like, I feel like my hair is how I am as an individual. Like, Ooh, you know? know? Yeah, right? And if I'm not moisturized, shit, I'll be dry out here. <laughs> oh, which is <laughs> we head into November, moisturize, use your hair product, use your lotion. Chapsticks. Yeah, chapsticks, Listen. no ashy elbows or broken ends. Yeah, we're good. Right? It's protective style time, okay? Because oh, listen, no. I can't be having my hair out here in these streets right now. Right? Uh, we've come full circle. I'm pretty sure we started talking about my hair. We're ending and talking about Devonna's hair. This is great. This is the hair, hair, CRT, and fragility. Yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> Awesome. I love well, it. I think I think this might be yeah a good time to to wrap Closing up. Closing time. You had a question <laughs> for maybe the audience though, Lydia, with fragility. I want. Oh, what what was my question? I don't even. I think just like posing that, like, is is this an experience that we can bring more voice to, mm. with like experiencing that fragility and that? I think to your point, Devon, like there's certain. Like, like our shadow sides or like things that like we don't talk about. I think there's a lot of power in talking about and when we can bring voice yes. to it, process it together. I think that that when I talked about fragility with my one friend and then now talking to you all about it, like I walk away feeling so much better and that any insecurities or any even just like being able I'm an external processor. So even being able to like voice it and vocalize it and yes. say it helps me understand it better. Yeah. And so um maybe for the audience like if there are other parts of you that you want to talk through or or bring voice to or if you identify with being a bird's egg or you know a fragile soul that um you know mm. like bring voice to it let us know or or you know yeah. reach out and and let us know how how you received that information what your takeaway was what your perspective is because I love yeah. hearing from people. Me too. Me too. Me too. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Alrighty. Well, we'll be back next week. Baby, we're back. Season three, episode two. <laughs> See y'all.
Peace. You've been listening to the Art Eerie Podcast. Community voices unpacking Eerie's baggage and speaking truth to power. You can continue the conversation on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Our Eerie Series. Music produced by Light Shadow. We appreciate you for listening to the Our Eerie Podcast. Until next time, take care of yourself. Keep fighting the good fight. Peace.